Hello and welcome new world agents or new world typical people alike to the first proper po- episode of the podcast for within two years. They started before the conversations from those within the new world divergent community that will be the same and will continue for the series with the force of empathy, authenticity and community. I've been starting already with a few interviews and we've got plenty in the bag to start with this series. But first, on today's episode, the guest ticks those boxes of the first on name of the series. Seeing faces that fully and what it means to be in the world divergent and we talk through that in this interview. She's already featured before in Steam Fight Showcase and has been classed as an award divergent icon on the Instagram and Twitter series of such posts. And she'll uh, showcase as segment appearance was on the episode I hosted with uh, Sarah Boone on the, this podcast. You heard that same clip that aired a few years back just to give a taste of what you could get in the previous episodes as you go back and what will be you hear in this episode and in this episode will expand from that same interview and that same chat from her first appearance and that guest on the podcast with me today is Lars from Chewy Gem. Hi I'm Lorraine and I'm from a company called Chewy Gem. Chewy Gem specialises in chewing aids and we also sell stim products and sensory products. Chewy Gem was started almost 10 years ago when my eldest child was going through an autism diagnosis and chewed on everything to help self-regulate. Rather than ruining any more jumpers or clothes, we thought we'd develop these funky, discreet chews and they would help Jamie and lots of other people too. Chewing is a sensory-seeking behaviour and a stim and we seek out oral feedback to calm and regulate our sensory systems. Stimming is short for self-stimulatory behaviour, which is basically repetitive behaviours that we do to self-regulate and self-soothe. These can be repetitive movements, words and sounds. Some people stim by flapping their hands or spinning, but there's loads of stims out there. Some of my stims include fidgeting, And I wear fidget rings and I use lots of handheld fidgets. I also stim using music and I like to play songs or parts of songs over and over on repeat. I really love visual stims, so things like sand timers. I love watching the sand coming through. It's really, really calming. But my favourite stim is fidgeting with a piece of fluff from the inside of my old childhood teddy bear. I've got lots of discreet stims as well, things like tapping my nails on a surface, I like to click my knuckles and I scrunch my toes up inside my shoes and these are things you probably wouldn't see or notice. I probably stim in ways that I don't even realise. When I was younger I used to hide my stims, although back then I didn't know what they were and I didn't know why I did them. Now I like to embrace my stims and I'm proud of stimming, it helps me to get through the day feeling calmer. It's also introduced me to a whole community of people. And using Chewy Gem, I'm able to help people and also advocate how important stimming is. The best quote I've ever heard is, Stimming is like breathing, just as natural, 
just as important. That was the previous segment that had two editions in a 2020 edition of the podcast, this Tim Pride Showcase segment. If you have any small, if you have a small business or service selling Stim and Sensual products, contact newcastpod at gmail.com or if you have anything else to promote or advertise, contact that email, email address that is n-e-u-r-o-c-a-s-t-p-o-d at gmail.com newcastpod at gmail.com and with that flashback to 2020 I think it's time just to get jump, jump into this interview, the first interview back on a podcast. As I said, Laws has kindly agreed to be the first guest back. Hey, so I'm Laws from Chewy Gem. Um, thank you for inviting me on your podcast. Yeah, thanks for coming on, Laws. So uh, I just wanted you to uh, talk, first of all, about your new divergent story, how you like you found out your new divergent yeah, so um, I'm autistic, ADHD, OCD, uh, I've got anxiety and depression and PTSD. Um, I've always known that I was OCD, but autism and ADHD was something that I wasn't aware of for a long time until Jamie, my eldest child, was going through their autistic um, diagnosis. Yeah, so like, how did, how did Jamie find out the autistic and how did that lead to you finding out your autistic yourself? So um, Jamie had uh, dyspraxia first. That was the first thing that Jamie was diagnosed with. In school, we noticed that uh, they were struggling to like do things like tie the laces, cut things with scissors. So the initial diagnosis was dyspraxia. And then the OT said that um, they thought that Jamie was probably autistic as well. So when we started going down that route, it took a couple of years. But I think as I was learning more and more about it, I started to see traits in myself yeah. so then like I didn't I didn't pursue anything for a long time because it was more about Jamie at that point. Yes when he was probably focusing a lot on uh, the diagnosis first so like I guess when he, you were getting the diagnosis I guess you didn't have time to just think about like getting sorted yourself as it? Yeah and then like trying to sort out school make sure that everything's in place for Jamie so it was a long time before I thought well do you know what I think I'll go on see if I can get a diagnosis. When you found dyspraxia was the first diagnosis, myself, yeah, that was the first thing picked up. Yeah, I experienced this usual, like, telling my school leaders, like, still uh, can't do that myself. But, yeah, something related to in Jamie's story. So, I guess, what, what was the traits yourself that you started noticing that you you were picking up that you thought when you had Jamie diagnosis? What did you see that you thought I related with that? Um, so it was like sensory issues, which I didn't even know what were a thing. Like all them years ago, I had no idea that there was such thing as sensory issues. Like social communication, being like in groups of people or going out with friends. Just I felt uncomfortable in a lot of those situations. But obviously over the over the years, I'd learned to mask. And I started to think, oh, do you know what? Especially looking back um, at me as a child, I'd see Jim and I think I was just like that. But obviously, like I was just no- called naughty. Yeah. And I was just in trouble I know probably for like a lot of undiagnosed people, especially if you've got like ADHD or autism, yeah, then that's like the stigma with it of being just seen as naughty. Yeah, you can imagine like that's the thing when you get an adult diagnosis, you probably end up looking back on your life and trying 
things a bit together. Yeah, I think definitely with the ADHD diagnosis, because I think had I been diagnosed at school, I think I could have done better in school and had maybe better qualifications because I didn't do very well in my GCSEs. But that's because I didn't I didn't understand school and I wasn't understood. And like I say, I was always naughty. So I was always getting sent out of class or getting detentions, getting inclusions, like everything like that, because I was just always naughty. But really, when I look back on it, if I'd had the right support, I'd probably have been able to do a lot better. Yeah, I can, I can imagine because it must have been tough then, since I guess you and your teachers didn't know what ADHD was or like like how it was present. And so like, I guess then it's easy enough to end up being like giving those labels as like naughty and stuff like that. So so that can affect your whole like, school, school experience and it does make it a lot harder. Yeah, definitely. So what, what would you say, like, you, like your sensory experiences and, you, like, what, what your sensory issues and stuff like that? My sensory issues, um, I've got quite a lot. I didn't realise there were sensory issues until it was actually when I was going through my autism diagnosis and my, the psychiatrist who, like, assesses, he was asking me these questions. And um, it was things like, uh, I've got, like, three sets of clothes that are exactly the same and I wear them, like, that's all I wear. So I always wear the same clothes. Um, and I didn't realise it was because it was a sensory issue because I don't like the feel of other clothing. So when I find something that I like, I buy it like in two or three or four. So like um, it was stuff like that. Things like um, I can't stand like wet hair on the back of my neck. Um, like I really love water. I know a lot of people with sensory issues hate showers and water. Mm-hmm. Um, different foods. Like I, I don't really eat meat because I don't like the textures of meat. Um, yeah. yeah, there's quite a lot that I've just assumed I was like, I thought I was a picky eater or I thought like, because I, I don't like things like jeans, like denim, because it, it feels awkward. Um, and I just thought, oh, well, I'm just a Tom boy because I wear tracksuit bottoms a lot but actually like going over it it obviously makes sense that a lot of it's sensory issues yeah 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 definitely know a lot of people you know autistic people you don't enter uh, like chosen certain style or food like to, on based on their own sensory needs I know like you uh gave me sensory needs I think that's we get got started with working with yeah, Jamie chewed um, school uniform a lot. So the speech and language therapist came to visit and suggested buying some chewel. But back then it would have been about 13 years ago. And the only jewelry I could find was in Canada. It cost about £30, which back then was probably a lot more than £30 is now. And it took six weeks to arrive. And when it came, um, just wasn't like stylish for a little kid. It was, a, it was like so obvious where we didn't want Jamie to stand out, and Jamie didn't want to stand out in the class, and it really made them stand out. Yeah, because uh, being able to see when you, if you work uh, at your gym, which you've been, seemed to be working for the company for quite a while, I've like, been able to make quite a lot of fashionable and very indifferent uh, uh, to gym products, like for indifferent uh, strings and stuff like that. Yeah, like when we first started, so what, what happened was there was um, Jenny, who's the CEO, she had a business called Gummy Gem, and that was teething jewellery for babies, but it was like the mums would wear it, so it was like stylish hearts and things like that. So I found that online, and I ordered some, and Jamie loved it, because it you know it was like wearing jewellery to school that looked really cool. So I messaged Jenny, and I said, you do realise that like these are for more than just babies. There's people out there that really need to chew and your products are fantastic. So Jenny got in touch with me and asked if I would like work with her to basically create Chewy Gem. So we co-founded that together. Um, her business expertise and, you know, she already had the products there. 
and I like waded in with my, my knowledge, which was still limited back then, but my, my knowledge on neurodiversity and sensory issues. It seems like you had to be, be creative and entrepreneurial spirit in yourself to, you know, do something like that to, uh, you know, with a company to produce that, produce the product uh, for the divergent people and make it fashionable. Yeah, I think it's um, because it's such a, it's such a rewarding thing to do. Because a lot of people don't realise that chewing's like quite a, a big thing because it can help you to stay calm and relaxed. And if you're chewing on something, it can help you get through a situation that you might not be able to normally get through. So by being able to make products that don't stand out, I mean, some people don't mind standing out. You know, we do bright, bold colours and we do, you know, big chewy gems. But like you said, the hoodie strings, for example, that they're one of our most popular products because you just pop them on the end of your hoodie and nobody notices them. So if you need a bit of a chew just to regulate your system and you can do that and nobody's going to stare at you. Yeah, that's definitely quite a good thing because, uh, I guess, you know, for people who are like myself or trying to start into a mask or like, working on being a bit more confident in using stims for comfort, in public or whatever, like having some as simple and stylish and fashionable as that at the end of what he's saying, I guess is a bit more comfortable or something that's been no more noticeable for some, as well as yeah, it's free to stand out. So I think it's probably something quite good that would help some people out there. Yeah, and I mean, like, because people, some people think that only kids are autistic. So I think it's nice to have like a, a large range of products because you might have like, a woman who's going to work in an office and she wants something that's stylish and you might have somebody that's going to college who wants something a bit more trendy so to have like a wide range to suit everyone is, is really like that's that's where we because we started off with quite a small range and we've obviously built on that to try and fit all of the customers yeah especially because like product like that can help you like if you're feeling bounced so you know a bit nervous excited or stuff like that and just way of stimming or yeah how do you find yourself stimming and way? yeah again i didn't know i stimmed until i mainly when i was watching things like tiktok videos have you ever watched them tiktok videos where people say like five stims you didn't know were stims yeah she knows tiktok videos and i find a platform like tiktok or instagram with those videos and like posts to help you understand for a lot of artistic or neurodivergent traits uh, I was going to say because this is my main stim is I have lamb's wool so I can show you it I always yeah. have a piece of lamb's wool in my pocket and I, that's like I pretty much always have that on the go I think that just keeps me calm all the time so whenever I'm doing my, my videos what nobody knows is that that's down like keeping my hands still yeah oh, that, that's a good way of doing it yeah because yeah, yeah I guess when you're meeting you just need to have something that can just be focused. Yeah, it's like, but I do things like I click my knuckles and like um, scratch my nose, I, sn- I sniff, and like all these are stims, and these are things that I didn't know were stims. Yeah, I mean, yeah, because it was like quite, like, kind of like small things and like just part of your everyday behavior. So, like, then you're like not aware of it. You just think it's just, well, it's part of who you are and, you know, part of what you do as happen. Yeah. So uh, what, what, what do you think does your best and most uh, sensory experiences for you? So I, I love water. Um, so for me, I love going swimming. I just feel like really relaxed and free in the water. Yeah, I can imagine. Yeah, it's just probably things quite calm and relaxing things too. Yeah, it's different like a pool to like say if I go in the sea, I feel really uncomfortable because of the feel of seawater on your skin. I don't like that. But if I'm in a swimming pool or like a bath or a shower, I just love to be in water. Uh, don't... Yeah, I think that, like, I think so is a lot easier in some way, because, you know, like, 
skills have been more with a person. I don't mind like the rewards in itself in the like if you have a nice bog in the summer, like food food experience with first to feet. What what would you say is your sensory experience? My worst? Yeah. Um so it's little things for me. So say if I'm outside and it's windy and my hair blows in my face, yeah. that I can get overwhelmed and overloaded. Like I can have a meltdown just from that. Or if people are talking, if there's more than one person talking at once and I'm trying to listen to a conversation, they're the sort of things that get me really, really stressed out. Yeah, it definitely is challenging when you're like either loads of people talking or like uh, loads of uh, review, like, like a radio or like um, meals going on and like certain like background noises. I guess that's what's me challenge and like going out and about in busy shops and environments yeah and I think the the thing is that people think that because like I could go to a shopping centre one day and I can be calm and rested and it's not so bad but if I'd not slept the night before or I was feeling a bit off then that experience in the, in the shopping centre could be so much worse because I think your sensory experiences change every day depending on how you are as a person and like the environment around you well, yeah, definitely relate to that. And yeah, it can be yeah. depends on how many how much energy or like leg spoons or like oh, the mood of the day. Yeah, definitely. Uh so what would you say when we we're talking about like TikTok and social media posts yourself? What would you say say you you learned from them the most? That I'm not alone, I think. I really like TikTok at the moment because there's so many neurodivergent adults on there and these neurodivergent adults look like me and they look like people that I know where I don't think people expect us to look normal. You know, like, I don't know what we're supposed to look like, but it's nice to see these people who, you know, they're working and they're not, they're not just young boys. That's what, like, because everybody thinks that autism and ADHD is usually just young boys. Yeah, because, like, I think those... TikTok video is great because you can end up learning something from it and like it's like a you know experience that or like you things that you may like only like think of yourself and then you see different content related to it or you can just find uh, something with any or humorous that is relatable and thing is you feel like like you feel a bit validated for seeing somebody like like yourself yeah I think as well on TikTok I'll see a video that's just like me so I can then send that to my husband and say this is why I do it or this is what that is so there was one about doom piles because I leave doom piles everywhere and I sent him that video and he was like right I get it now yeah. so that, that's good and like um, there's a lot of tips as well so I think one of the tips was um, about cleaning the house and and if he stays in the house when I want to clean the house, I won't clean the house. But if he goes out and leaves me alone, I can clean the house. So I sent him that video and then he went out and I cleaned the house. Well, not the whole house, but, yeah. you know, it's just little things. And you get these tips from these videos and they're really good. I kind of get what I mean. Like, I feel like, I guess when you're in there, uh, like when you're sitting there, I guess you like feel like you, I don't know if you feel like you're hot. So like, I guess what you mean, like you just like, you enjoy the guess sometimes about a piece of being able to do that task alone without like that interference maybe yeah and I think as well like if someone's here if I want if I wanted to clean this room but somebody was in it that would put me off going in the room to clean it so it's kind of like I'd use it as an excuse to yeah. procrastinate I, I kind of relate to that yeah uh, yes so we're uh, talking earlier about doom pails what would you say is a doom pail so when the when the post comes through the door and I open it I pile it up in a certain place in the kitchen yeah so that's one of my, my doom piles then like my medication drawer I've got I, I put a TikTok out recently I think it was last week that my husband because 
was my doom drawer it's so messy he created a doom drawer for me at the bottom and the, do- the drawer at the top is just like all nice and neat with medication so I've got my own doom drawer now um, I have like doom baskets just everywhere there's just like little piles and I try and make it look clean and neat but it's just full of stuff that I don't know what to do with or I don't know where to put it yeah you're like you're, you're paying to be sorted out to maintain on ever like on the really deep pile is it yeah so what what type of like a notice here with uh, two months sensually you put out a lot of uh, awareness posts like I want to talk to you about stuff you were uh, been serving on uh, those uh, social media channels and what you've been making people aware of yeah so um, recently we've, we've done some stuff about Tourette's and um, body focused repetitive behaviours so there's lots of things that I think people don't associate with neurodivergency so Jamie um, has dermat um, I struggle to pronounce these correctly dermaticalalia uh, which is skin picking it's repetitive skin picking and um, no, I can't remember the other one but it's uh, repetitive hair pulling oh I've gone out of my head but it's so hard to pronounce um, yeah. but like like I knew that Jamie had these because it was really obvious but um, my son he bites his fingernails and like he's got infections all over his hands like he does the same so it's um, body focused repetitive behaviours and there's loads of different ones so it's like pulling out your hair picking at your skin chewing your lips uh, biting your nails and it's like an obsessive compulsive disorder so it's not because yeah. every now and then somebody chews their nails and every now and then somebody picks a scab but this is like extreme where some people just can't stop picking to the point they get infections and it's you know yeah I think the, sometimes the only way to help if you can't stop from distraction that you, you have to get therapy yeah, so but a lot of this stuff related to neurodivergency and you, you find when you do these posts so many people say oh do you know what I've, I've got that but I didn't even know and so what type of therapies you've been able out there for stuff like uh uh this can uh yeah so for stuff like that it's like talking therapies and cbt to try and redirect your thinking um we haven't tried any of that to be honest. I, well i have tried cbt with jamie but jamie struggles like if you've got therapy on a certain day every week, one yeah. week Jamie can go in and be really engaging and get on with it. But the next week, if if they're tired, they won't listen and they'll just curl up and be like, no, do you know what? I'm not doing that. So like we really struggle with things like therapy. Yeah, totally understand that because when you uh, had therapy when you're younger, some weeks you can feel a bit more enthusiastic with it. Some weeks you might feel a bit more forget all very anxious about it so like yeah, yeah it's, it's totally right it's like with the sensory issue you know like you were saying about the spoons and stuff if it depends because you can go into a therapy session and you can have all your spoons and you can be feeling great yeah but the next week you've got no spoons and you just can't do the therapy and they say for it to work you've got to be continuous yeah and especially if like where you are to be more stressed or like some feet feeling very anxious in general that week, you know, you're like, can have a bit of an impact on that. Yeah. So, uh, just trying to think of where the questions got. Oh, what would you feel like you, when you're focused on sp- uh, special interests? Mine. Um, so, like, I always have, like, sensory issues and neurodiversity. That's, like, my special interest all the time. But then I always have, like, a little... A little thing on the side or a couple of little things so at the moment it's swimming but it's not like I don't just go swimming I go swimming and I've got this uh, smartwatch and I have to analyze all of my lengths mm. and what stroke I've done and like I get really into it 
So swimming. And the other thing is uh, my son plays Rocket League. Do you know the computer game? Oh, yeah, I've knew it's that, Jen. Yeah, so he plays that. And because I started, I started to watch it when he started to play it, I've become a bit obsessed with that because there's so many YouTube videos and things that you can go on. Just, you can just, there's so much to learn. I like it when there's a lot to learn. So that's when I get obsessed with something. So at the moment, it's just learning more and more about Rocket League and then delving into the analytics of my swimming. Uh, so, um, uh, hang on. so tell me about uh, your experiences with uh, some of the other conditions uh, like OCD and depression and and what helps you with those conditions. With OCD, um, so that that's always been like people, people used to laugh at me when I was younger for the things that I did because I don't think people really knew about OCD when I was growing up so much. Um, I've, I'm on medication, that helps. Also, like trying to rationalise things in my own mind. So um, I have contamination OCD. So I get really scared that touching things is going to, like I'm going to get germs, things like that. So um, I've, I've actually had CBT for my OCD and I used to um, like I'd sometimes I would shower six or seven times a day and sometimes I just have to like talk to myself in my own head and say you don't need to shower you're fine you just like you can have a shower in the morning and a shower before bed and that's enough. Uh, I guess for me the pandemic difficult for you then if you pay to the contamination or the cardiovascular. I, I didn't really go out much um yeah, like I, if, if it was, you know, when one person from the household could go shopping, yeah. it was always my husband. Uh, the times that I did go out, I would come back and get straight in the shower. Ah, uh, but glad you like managed with that because, you know, like it, it was definitely the answer thing for it. And... Yeah, I mean, there's been times like where it's been really difficult. Um, there's times where I, I couldn't go to places because I'd been nervous of the germs. Um, so like things like Rocket League, my son will play Rocket League in a big stadium. And years back, before I'd been able to control it, I probably wouldn't have been able to go there because I'd be scared that I was going to get ill or I was going to get germs off people. Where now I know that I can just get through, like say I get through the day and then I go back and get a shower and I put my clean clothes on and I'm fine. So it's like for that, it's just about rationalising in my own yeah. brain. So it seems like you've done a lot of uh, work on, you know, and uh, that. Yeah. Um, one of the questions you have on you is uh, when one thing you wish uh, people understood uh, about being neurodivergent. What, sorry? Uh, um, one thing I had uh, asked on you is what you wish people understood about being neurodivergent. Oh. So there's probably a, a few things that I wish people understood, that it's not just young boys that are neurodivergent, like anybody can be neurodivergent. Um, I think one of the big things is what I was saying before about one day I can go to a shopping centre and I can be okay, but that's because I'm well rested and I'm calm. But if, I've had, if I'm really tired, I've got no spoons left and I need to go to the shop, that can be really distressful. So I think like, you know, when, if you've got a friend and they say to you, oh, let's go to the pub, now, sometimes I can go and that'll be fine. 
But another time I'll say, do you know what, I, ca I can't do that this week. And they're like, oh, but you were fine last week. But they don't really understand that it's a fluctuating thing. Yeah. Yeah, I, no, I mean, I think that, yeah, like for teachers, especially with kids, I think like teachers expect, oh, well, he didn't he didn't cry that that last week because that touched him. But this week he's crying. Like, I wish people would understand that it's very fluctuating. Yeah, no, I mean, because it does change, you know, by the, you know, like can change on it. Not like when it's a very effective, like it's, you know, just changed often. And so, like, it can be affected, you know, like by different senses or like it moods and all that. So it's like, uh, I'm just trying to think now, we've been affected by different senses. It can take a bit more. Um, yeah, it could just yeah, it's just like if say I go to the shopping if I go shopping on my own, I always wear my headphones and I listen to a book or to some music. But if I go to the shopping centre with a person, I don't have that blocking out the noise. I then have to also concentrate on their conversation whilst there's the background noise. And it makes a big difference. Yeah, because we've been yeah, a more flexible. You know, it's like thing is it's like understanding I'll be very trained stuff like Accommodate to our senses, or like, or like it, you know, making things a bit more accessible at first, and you know, like using like headphones and stuff like that when we out, but I to myself, and so like it's been, I guess, understanding that you know, like sometimes you know, like what whatever you went may went to was by intent, like you know, ask us and. You know, if you're feeling up for that and understanding having that bit of patience that, you know, we won't be always up for doing such a thing. Sorry, you, you cut out a bit then. All right, I'd say that, you know, because it's like uh, not, uh, it's uh, quite flexible and, you know, like it's not always the same, you know, when they were divergent experience. It's like, you know, it can change. You know, it's all, not always the same. So we may need to like understand that, you know, we may need like certain competitions or like a, a patience when we might feel okay enough for time. Yeah. And I think, um, have you ever done the sensory profiling tool on our, on our website? I think we've looked at that before, yes. Yeah. You can go on. And it's just a quick thing where like you can see if you've like sound avoidant or whatever. But what it says on the website is, that when you do the sensory profile it's not just that's your sensory profile because your sensory profile can change every day and the things that you need can be different every day yeah so like today i can do this podcast but the reason that i said to you i'm free on thursday is because jamie's at college on thursday if jamie was in the house i'd probably have like a sensory issues with jamie moving around and it not being quiet here yeah, I totally get that, you know, like, spending yeah. that kind of time and, you know, guess just like, I, I know, I mean, like, sometimes I'm totally down for doing certain things and then other days I just, you know, like, if it's a bit more miserable odds, like, you know, I feel like I've been a bit deflated or a bit burnt out, you might, or like, you know, like, just a lot, lot of uh, going on around you, you just need, you know, I don't feel like you're in the space to do something like this. Yeah, and as well, after we've finished chatting, I'll probably feel drained from it, and you'll probably feel drained from it, 
and I'll start to like lose my words so my words won't come out as coherently so yeah. by the time it's like tea time and I'm cooking food for the kids I'll be like blah blah blah, blah. <laughs> and the words the words won't go from my brain to my mouth oh yeah definitely feel like this especially if instance first recording back to this uh, podcast and doing an interview I think it's like you know like it's not always easy to come get off the tongue and I, I always think like if I'm writing something down sometimes that's a bit easier than you know like getting it from your head because sometimes it just feels like a mess of words to come out yeah definitely because I always think that like the words I want to say aren't the words that I use so I really like I'm I much prefer to communicate via text or email yeah totally point out yeah I think that's why I think in me if I like feel like takes takes a bit to time getting back to doing this podcast and stuff like this yeah and yeah to find it's easier just to like send a text rather than doing a phone call yeah 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 no yeah because definitely like with the technical issues and me you know like sorting this out yeah it'd be like you know been been more soft, I think you made for a great guest anyway so far. Oh, thank you. <laughs> yeah. Um, and whenever I think I would like, if like what change, changes, if uh, anything, would you like to see finding with divergent people to help us with our struggles or anything like that? Uh, so I think, like, people want training in schools and things like that don't they so they're always saying that teachers should be trained but I think everybody should be trained to a, like a base level of what neurodiversity is because um, like I when I went to when I got to the doctors I've had so many bad experiences and I think a GP should understand neurodivergency and they they don't not all of them do so I think any front facing like so like the police the NHS anybody that you have to deal with the public I think anybody in those positions should know more about neurodivergency. Oh, and 300% here, because sometimes you don't find there's the patience or the understanding and to give yeah. a, bit, a little bit of time just to communicate and have the space to understand what you uh, need to say. Yeah, so I think it doesn't matter if you're a doctor or if you work on the Tilly Morrisons. If you're dealing with people, you should have a, a, an understanding because that's, for me, if I go to Morrisons, just for example, people look at me and they would never think I was neurodivergent or that I've got any issues. But really, in Morrisons, that's one of my biggest struggles. Oh. So I think if, if if everybody understands that, yeah. like how it is, then it would be easier. That, and you, I think if everybody understood more, you'd be more likely to ask for help in situations. Yeah, and I think, if people understood more, I think they would be... Right, that is first part of the podcast interview with Lars from Dewey Gem that I recorded. We had to record this on two separate days, or spread over a week, as due to the package within Zoom, the interview time could only last for 40 minutes. And I hope you were able to understand the first part of the podcast Due to technical issues and such, I know it wasn't easy understanding when he was listening back on the edit and he and recording this link in between the two parts on the day it's supposed to be coming out on a Sunday. So there has been a lot to edit. Now comes the second part of the podcast interview with Lars from Jury Gem. If you have any feedback on this issue, 
please email neurocastpod at gmail.com or use that same handle at neurocastpod on any social media platform. All right. Uh, so let's start where we last headed off, uh, started back. So I was ask, asking you uh, what, what, hopes, uh, what hope for neuro, neurodivergent things to get uh, be- better? What would you like to see to help neurodivergent people to get better? And that, the point that we ended on was the one thing you thought that could aid and support neurodivergent and bring around positive change would be a universal base level of training to uh, support for us GPs or uh, NHS staff to uh, stop in assistance to understand what we need. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, I think anybody that works in a position where they're facing customers every day, so it doesn't matter whether you're a doctor or you're a police officer or if you work in Morrisons, anybody that that's dealing with people in day-to-day life should have a baseline understanding of neurodivergency and that way you can ask you feel more comfortable asking for help and yeah. they'll understand more that you might be struggling so uh, i wonder what you would like to see like used in that, that type of training i think a lot of training is done by so-called professionals i would like training to be done by neurodivergent people yeah i agree with that yeah. so is there anything that you would include or you would like the people you like if you were training them yourself what one thing you would like them to know about supporting it with divergent people. So I think I'd like them to know a lot more about masking because a lot of us do mask, especially in social situations like going to the, the supermarket. We like, I mean, I put my headphones on and I just kind of go around, but you would never look at me and, well, I don't, I don't think you would look at me and say, oh, she's neurodivergent. So I think knowing about masking and that people might be trying to just get through it and try and be like all the other people around them, if you're aware that masking exists, because I don't think a lot of people are aware that masking even exists. Yeah, that is true because if you uh, stuff like autism, dyspraxia, ADHD is as uh, hidden conditions, and you know, like you can't see what's going on in someone's head and assume what their needs are and who basically their identity without actually knowing that person. So one like, thing, uh, yeah, I, I, went the, I, went the, I went to the doctors the other day to get a yeah. blood test done, and while I was there, the nurse said, "Oh." is there anything else you want while you're here? How about a flu jab? And I said, oh, yeah, I'll have my flu jab while I'm here. And she said, you are still a carer. And I said, I am a carer, but I'm also on the learning disabilities register myself. And she looked at me and she went, you're on the learning disabilities register. Why? And Hmm. that, I was like, what? Because I don't look like I should be on the learning disabilities register because I've spoken to you and I've like got my bloods taken and I've been okay. Yeah, so I guess... Yeah, they're, they're the sort of people that I want them to realise that, yeah, I look like a normal 40-year-old woman, but yes. I do have difficulties. So, yeah, I guess there, then you can see, like, how people make such abilities on, like, how people are going to assume how, like, more, like, if you're more able to function on certain things, and I guess because you're able to tend up appointment and talk for yourself and you know advocate for yourself and do all this independently so yes I understand that there's a lot of things that people will assume that yes you can do all those things just be on on the basis of one look yeah so one thing I went to ask you with this as a follow-up question is 
what do you think of the Sunflower Lanyard scheme? And do you think that has helped? I like the Sunflower Lanyard scheme because I think it's up to you if you want to wear it or not. I mean, some people say, oh, it, you know, you should be aware already or maybe you don't want to draw attention to yourself. But when the uh, Sunflower Lanyard scheme got bigger, it was for me around lock time, lockdown time when yeah. um, I didn't go out very much. But if I did go to the supermarket, I was really nervous because I, I really struggled with proprioception and I bash into people and like... I didn't want to be touching people or getting within the two feet distance. And for me, wearing that sunflower lanyard really helped because members of staff, especially in Sainsbury's, because um, that's where I started to go to, they really helpful. They would come up and ask if I needed any help or assistance. Yeah, it's like I only started using mine recently. And I think it's like a, it took me a bit to use it because, like, I think with using something like that for me, it was like, overcoming my internal stabilism and I guess part of a mask and so that I am autistic and I have like a hidden disability so it took me a bit on that basis to unmask and overcome that and so I think on that basis it can take time to use and one thing I was hesitant at the start of the pandemic and throughout of using it is how it got used as a thing of just like not being able to wear a mask so I think there was some some issues with how people just saw it as like mask exempt for some people yeah that because that was one thing that I actually did because I wore a mask so I wore a mask and the lanyard because like I said for me my issue was if I bumped into somebody because of my, my proprioception I didn't want them to think that I was just being ignorant and not following the, the two-foot rule yeah and like I think from certain reports, like people have said that because they were wearing a lanyard and a mask, people are like, oh, you might not need to wear that mask, or you know, like, oh, if you got like that oh, mask on, or you're wearing a lanyard. So like I think being used as a symbol, I think in that period it did get taken over as like a symbol for his disability and seen as like a symbol of like being able to wear a mask max is exempt. So I think on that basis, I think the sunflower lanyard system is or uh, scheme is good. But I think by that basis, I think there is a lot to work to come still to understand the use of it. Yeah, definitely. And I think the fact that you could just walk into a supermarket and just ask for one, that's that means that people can get them who don't need them. Yeah, yeah, because like, there's a lot of people that need to build a the system as happened yeah. as and the TRs you can easily just like buy you know, on Amazon or something like that all yeah. online. So I think like in terms of, like for people who self-diagnosed and had to, and find it difficult to provide evidence of a disability having something like that is good but it always comes at a price and the cost if if you get what I mean yeah definitely and another question I had is like what experience of advocacy uh, have advocating uh, have making things easier uh, better for your child Jamie so basically what what's it been like for yourself advocating as a parent for your child's needs 
Well, because we were always told that Jamie was high functioning and we all know that there's not high functioning. Yeah. You know, we were, they would say, oh, Jamie's Asperger's or Jamie's high functioning. So Jamie doesn't need X, Y, Z support. So you have to be like a bit of a fighty parent to be able to challenge professionals and teachers when they're saying that to you. So for me, I, um, I've always had to kind of advocate for Jamie to make sure that the right th- things are in the education healthcare plan, especially like chewing, because a lot of teachers think that chewing is um, it's stopping Jamie from concentrating, uh, you know, switching off to chew. So that takes a lot of perseverance and challenging teachers to allow things like fidgets, chewing, all the things that you need to help you get through yeah. the day. Yeah, yeah, because like, as I said, chewing and like you on stimming is like when we are concentrating and they definitely found like a take, it's taken a while just to like learn for yourself about functional labels and how they uh, don't work and like the history behind the word Asperger's and stuff like that. So it it does, so I think it does take a lot of independent and personal research and like explanation to communicate that to a teacher and even some medical professionals, because I think in some medical professionals, GPs, there might be still uses of like high functioning and Asperger's still around, even though it's things are still things have changed since then. Yeah, and I think it's um, the more the more and more we tell people, hopefully, the more that they'll start to learn. Yeah, but it just seems to take so long because I know that from where I started with Jamie when Jamie was about five. Jamie was 19 a couple of weeks ago, and I'm still helping parents that are getting treated the exact same as we were treated like 14 years ago. And in 14 years, it feels like nothing has really changed. Yeah, yeah, it's like, I know, like, there's been a bit more advancement in the community understanding. And I think because we've got, like, uh, social media and means of, like, engaging and coming together as a community, and that's allowed for some learning to happen and there's been some uh, minor, you know, improvements, but from on the basis of like systemic, uh, so like medical professionals and like what's in law set and like of what to define med- the uh, autism and such, there is still a lot of ha- that hasn't kept up with the understanding within the community. No, not at all. And I think there's so many advocates out there now so many adult advocates that people you know the NHS should be getting them in for training schools should be getting them in for training to get an insider's point of view on how sensory issues present and how stress and anxiety presents like to get the inside mind of a neurodivergent adult that's the best person you could ask for help yeah because yeah it's important for for them to be able to listen and hear from autistic neurodivergent divergent people so they can actually learn these things so as I said with training to be able to implement these things and have a wider conversation and wider lesson to be learned on it yeah yeah so uh, one thing else I had if you are able to and comfortable answering what was like when Jamie came out to you as non-binary and what have you learned from them about the identity and being uh, and non-binary? Um, when Jamie came out as non-binary, I wasn't surprised at all. 
um, I had a feeling that there was, they definitely didn't know who they were. There was definitely questions, but they never actually spoken about it. And no, after Jamie came out and I was like, well, you know, I kind of knew there was something. It's absolutely fine. You're still my kid. You know, you're still amazing. Yeah. And they said, oh, I wish I'd come out sooner because they were scared to tell me. I think it must be a really scary thing to do, even though like I'm a really open and accepting person. If it was scary for Jamie, then it must be so scary for people whose parents aren't accepting. Yeah, definitely. It can be scary then. And I think, I feel for me, like with anxiety or autism and stuff, like you might have one thing on your mind to say. And even if like, you know, like you're able to say that thing, I think there's always that anxiety within yourself that finds it hard to open up and actually say what, you know, you know, you would be accepted of. Yeah, definitely. And I've learned so much, like um, with Jamie coming out as non-binary, then I've gone on to speak to loads of other people that are non-binary and trans. I've, I've surrounded myself with, like, I've got loads of trans and non-binary friends. And with speaking to all of these different people, um, some of the podcasts that I've done, I don't know if you know, do you know Rico's PDA page? Um, not to an that one. Uh, Rico did a podcast with me and some of the things that they said and the analogies that they used about being non-binary, asexual, it was just amazing. And I learned so much from that. And I, every time I learn something, it means that I can go in and be an even better parent to Jamie. I would have to look up that uh, video yeah, so stuff. Yeah. I'll send you a link. But also it made me realise some things about myself. Like, I, I'm not non-binary. I've never said that I'm non-binary, but I'm certainly yeah. not too female. Yeah. Um, yeah, I definitely feel that if I'd have been born later, because I was born in the 80s and grew up in the 80s and 90s. Yeah. I think that, that at that point in time, you kind of were just, you're a girl or a tomboy. And you've got, you know, you, you marry a man. Like I'm married to a man, but that doesn't necessarily necessarily mean that I wouldn't be attracted to a woman. Yeah, exactly. So I think I've learned a lot about myself through going through everything with Jamie. Ah, uh, totally. Yeah, I think yeah, it's in a lot. I yeah, I think for autistic people, yeah, it's a thing. Are real less likely to be within our set and gender or sex reset at birth. We're less likely to be what what society tells us is like yeah. to be the typical behavior, and yeah, because we're less likely to follow social conventions on that basis, we're less likely to feel like we hundred percent identify within the spectrum of being a woman or a man. So, like, even if, like, as you said yourself, you don't identify as non-binary, but as you said. You, you wouldn't be, you wouldn't identify as being like 100% feminine or and similar on that scale. Yeah. Yeah. And it seems like you've been great as a and learning that to understand Jamie and, you know, the identity. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, I learn every day from Jamie for about everything really. Jamie's just like a fountain of knowledge. <laughs> and one thing I uh, else had, uh, had to 
uh, listed on you is how did you find yourself? Have you how have you found yourself self advocating? It started off really slowly because when I first was diagnosed, well, when I first started to realise that I was autistic, I was nervous to tell people because I didn't think people would believe me because people have an an idea of what autistic people are. So I didn't tell a lot of people. And as I mean, I've been diagnosed now for three years, three and a half years. And I was starting to think about it probably about 10 years before that. So it's really taken me a long time. But each and every day, I feel like I unmask a bit more and I get a bit more confident. So like in situations like when I went for my blood tests and the nurse questioned me being on the learning disabilities register, if that had been before I was diagnosed or even even last year, I don't think I would have said anything. I would have just stayed quiet and walked out where now I feel like I, I can explain that, well, actually, I am autistic and I do have ADHD and there are autistic people that look like me and can talk and can be 40 years old and have children and be married. If I don't advocate that, then they'll never learn for the next person that goes into that appointment. Yeah, I, I was uh, about 10, 10 years old getting diagnosed and I think it's only been a recent years that I've been comfortable enough to start talking about this. So like, I would say it was within like few, like, Few weeks before my 18th birthday, that I actually thought I could like talk to, like, start talking to peers and friends. They've been in school and from about being autistic and dyspraxic. So it has taken a lot of time and like to be able to say, yes, you can talk about this. So what was yeah. it like being in your like um, late mid 30s or 40s, uh, open up to friends, family, and saying, like you're seeing you're autistic uh, so for, especially for my mom because when you go for your autism diagnosis first yeah. of all like you fill out these forms and then they ask you all these questions so when my mom was filling out the forms she was like oh god I feel like a terrible parent because actually filling out these forms and realizing that you you were autistic at all that time and I didn't do anything and I didn't help but it, this isn't an excuse, but it was the 1980s and people didn't know about autism. Yeah, no, it's not no excuse, but like, I don't mean things change by each generation. Like, what what we understood then about autism in 1980 probably was a lot, is totally different to what we understand now. And I think yeah. because in 1980, probably like your mother would have the resources to understand about what autism is. Yeah, I think I was just, I, I was the middle child and the middle child's always the naughty one. And I think that's just what they're yeah. down to. But yeah, like I found it, some people have been really accepting, like friends and family. Some people, like, especially when I said I was autistic, some people were like, no, you can't be autistic, which I find really frustrating. People c- can happily accept the ADHD diagnosis. They're like, oh yeah, I can see that. But sometimes not so much the autism. Hmm. It's interesting how they wouldn't, Accept how they accept the ADC diagnosis when they question the autism diagnosis. Yeah, I think it's because ADHD is always like a typical young boy that's naughty, and I was always like that typical young girl that was naughty. So I think they can see, oh yeah, that's what she was like. But then autism, they always associate that with 
like non-verbal people who yeah. you know there's you know, like they've got a, a stereotype in their mind that I don't fit yeah and I mean on a basis it's like what what you see in the media or what you see see and just hear about of these conditions have has a massive impact on what people imagine to be autism or ADHD and the fact that you can't see it and it's hidden as we were talking about with the sunflower and yard scheme and all that. It's like what what they can't see is what is hard for them is hard for people who don't experience the conditions to understand. Yeah, and I think just yesterday I got a message from a friend of mine who, when I told him I was autistic, he, he said, oh, I can't see it, mate. And then he messaged me yesterday and he said that two of his other female friends have been diagnosed autistic. And again, he didn't see it. But now that he's got three female friends that have been diagnosed autistic, he said, I need to learn a lot more about this now because obviously it's something that I'm missing. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's the thing is there's been a for years uh, Female diagnosis has lagged behind the diagnosis in a assigned male at birth people. Yeah, so like with that, uh, you know, like lagging uh, diagnosis and, and uh, women are assigned female at birth people, you know, uh, you know, lacking the diagnosis and being undiagnosed. So there's that thing that I guess now for people like uh, many generations uh, it's a point where, where they find it out and understand it. Yeah. Yeah, it's good to see that uh, anyway that being uh, to, you know, making the change. Yeah. And I think it comes with people learning and understanding a bit more about autism. Do you, do you think that gives you faith about people understanding more in the future? Yeah, I think so. And I think it's good that like some celebrities that have found out they're autistic, you know, like, um, oh gosh, now what's her name? Mel- Melanie Sykes, for example. Yeah. She recently found out that she was autistic. So I like that she's then come forward and then it shows people that, oh, well, if Melanie Sykes is autistic, then obviously we've got the wrong idea of what autism is. Yeah, I think that really helps because as a woman in her 50s, I think that really helps people to understand that if you're in your mid-50s, as a woman, you can get get out there and get diagnosis, and it's not too too late to get diagnosis and get that support and understand that bit about yourself. Yeah, because I I think at that point, you know, like it must be hard because you spend your whole life masking and not doing that thing about yourself. Yeah. So the other question I had was. Do you have any advice for parents getting diagnosed themselves or advocating for their children? So I think for parents that want to get diagnosed themselves, because I I do get asked this quite a lot, I think, like, people ask me, why did I get diagnosed? And for a long time, I didn't feel that I needed to, and I just thought, well, I'm happy to self-identify and I can put things in place. But... In the end, I needed that diagnosis to understand myself. So I think if if you're that sort of person that you need the diagnosis either to help get your support in life or so that you can start to understand yourself and make your life better because of that, then I would definitely pursue a diagnosis. And whilst people say it's a long wait, I waited for two years from being referred to my first appointment. It is a long wait, 
But once you've got the wheels in motion, it soon comes round. And if you, as long as you go and make that first step, you will get there eventually. Exactly. Uh, it's as a long process, and it takes yeah. that patience. And and I guess for yourself, it's needing to know it, it's valid to you're validating that self diagnosis and what you already knew about yourself. Yeah, and like things make sense. Once you're told by a professional that, yes, you are autistic, then you start to think, oh, that's why I do that. And that's why that. And that's why that. And that made me feel better about myself. Yeah, I guess it felt like all the pieces came together and what you knew about yeah. yourself then. And uh, I said, well, and I also had another question. What advice have you uh, got for people trying to, to work to create a solution uh, for new divergent people as you did with working uh, with children um, to make it a brand for the world divergent people. I think if you've got something that you think is going to help the neurodivergent community, then just put as much time and work and effort into it as you can. If you're neurodivergent yourself, it can be difficult. I, I often overwork and I do too much and that can cause burnout. But I think if you've got something that is going to be really helpful and um, contact other businesses like if you don't if you don't have money and you don't know how to start something but you've got a product or or something like that if you contact another neurodivergent business that's thriving or working then they might be able to help but I think ultimately try and get that product or that solution out there like yeah. by TikTok TikTok's a really good way of getting things out there at the moment yeah definitely no TikTok's a great way of uh enterprising and you know expanding the market for like your idea product and all and finding out people who can support you and get get you out there with uh, your ideas so yeah also how do you find the time between if you're like overworked and you know like snowed it in under the work how do you find the time for yourself then you know to pace yourself and like make it so you're able to Six steps for self-care so you don't all burn out it's been hard because I've had a, I've had a couple of big burnouts um and really because Jenny who is the business owner it's been about her really she supported me I mean I've been with Chewy Gem well Chewy Gem started it's been 12 years but she's always supported me so if ever I need time off I get it she will sit me down and create a, like a template of what I need to do so like because she she knows that I get obsessive with this so I'll go on in the morning and I'll work and work all day and all night so um I got the Teamo app have you used the Teamo app before oh, yeah heard about you yeah so like I put it on there so like I might work say nine till twelve and then I have to have a lunch break so what I've started doing now is I've I tried to go swimming in, in my lunch time so that I actually do do something that's not work yeah I think that's good. yeah but I just set myself timers and Sometimes I don't stick to them. Sometimes I get too I get too engrossed in things. That's my problem. Yeah, I guess you get quite hyperfixated on it. And I listen yeah. with that Timo app. It's quite good because you know it helps you if you have issues of executive functioning and stuff like that. Yeah. And with your executive dysfunction, then you know you can keep you planned and organised and be difficult like. Something like the sparks or ADHD and need to like have a, a way of yeah. visualizing your plan about your daily routine. And I think that's pretty much it for the questions. And I just wanted to ask, is there anything else you wish to say? 
Uh, but thank you for having me on the podcast. Um, it just that I hope that more and, there's more and more representation of all the different people that are neurodivergent because I think as well a lot of people think oh neurodivergent that's autistic and ADHD but it's you know it's dyspraxia, Tourette's, OCD, uh, depression, anxiety. So many people fall under that neurodivergent umbrella. Yeah it is a massive umbrella. Yeah um, thank, and yeah you're very much welcome for coming on the podcast and it's been great having you. You've been such great guest and been quite understanding that terms of technical difficulties. Yeah. And also everyone meant to ask finally where can people find you or follow you on social media if you have anything like that to promote? Yeah, I mean we've got because we're we're a bit it's a bit complicated because we have Sensuli and Chewy Gem. Yeah. Uh, we did kind of um put them together but I'm trying to separate it a bit more now so if you're looking for me and Chewy Gem and that sort of thing just look for Chewy Gem on all the social channels so Chewy Gem on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter like where we're on all of the social channels we do have Sensuli accounts as well but they're more of a professional like occupational therapy because we do some occupational therapy stuff we've got occupational therapists so that's kind of the Sensuli side where Chewy Gem is like Sporting the community, Chewy Gem products, my blogs, and things like that. Yeah. So, yeah, like if you want to find yourself, it's Chewy Gem, as that's the work you're yeah, primarily yeah. focused on. Yeah. And you can message me on any of the social channels if you want, like if anybody wants any help with anything sensory wise. Yeah. It's like I have found you pretty portable and you great at, uh, you know, with the customer service and so just like very. Kind and friendly and supportive you have been, especially when you came to come to range this podcast. Oh, thank you. Yeah. And I think that's it. Thank you for tuning in to this week's episode of the podcast. There will be another one for you next Sunday. Please, as I said, give us any feedback. Remember to tell a friend about the podcast. Say a review and make sure it's a positive review. Make sure people get to know it. And please do come back here and keep on subscribing to this podcast. This has been presented by me, Autistically R, and this is a Howo Audio Production. And as I said, special thanks to my guest, Lord from Chewy Gem. Until next week, see you.